As you're being seated, I'd like to invite our preschoolers to meet at the door right over here, and there will be someone from the nursery who will take you downstairs. If you are a kindergartner and you would like to go downstairs for nursery, that's great. You can do that, or you're welcome to stay here with your folks for the service. And first and second graders, you are invited to stay and worship this morning to receive communion with your families. Our scripture this morning comes from the book of Romans, chapter 8. I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory about to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the children of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not of its own will, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to decay and will obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning in labor pains until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly while we wait for adoption, the redemption of our bodies. For in hope we are saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what is seen? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. I have a friend who witnessed a small drama being played out in a parking lot of a grocery store not far from here a few years ago. Um, the principal characters were two brothers. One was about 16 or 17, the other one around 12. Uh, my friend sees the brothers driving up in a little pickup truck and the younger one gets out and goes up to the soda machine there in the in front of the grocery store and puts in his dollar and starts banging on the machine nothing comes out he yells back to his bigger brother put my money in didn't get nothing and his brother said well go in the store and tell the lady and she'll, she'll give you your money back well the younger brother doesn't listen he throws another dollar into the machine Starts banging on the machine, looks back at his big brother. Big brother said, I told you to go inside. Well, I thought if I threw another dollar in there, it would push the other one on through. Well, go on in the store and ask the lady for a dollar back. But I put in two dollars. Look, nobody's going to believe anybody's stupid enough to put two dollars in there. <laughs> the younger brother goes in, he comes back out and says she didn't give me any money but she gave me a free soda okay but now now older brother has some problems of his own you see when he had gotten out of the car to help his younger brother something happened the door to his truck slammed shut and guess what keys keys are locked in the truck and now older brother is banging on the truck and he's kicking the tires this is when my friend became a little more involved. He walked over. He said, look, I got this coat hanger. And the boy said, you know, those used to work. They don't work on these newfangled locks anymore. I think I'll call my friend, my buddy. Maybe he can come and help me out. He said, I got up this morning. I went over to Murphy. And I, I got me this used truck. And I went to pick up my brother. Now look what's going on. Well, now some of his buddies start driving up and giving all kind of advice. Hey, you know, if you had a Slim Jim, you, you, you could get... If I had a Slim Jim, I wouldn't still be standing here. And then somebody else drives up and says, Hey, you know, if that truck was a Toyota, I would know how to get those doors open. But it wasn't a Toyota. I mean, look, what happened? 
A young guy gets up and says, oh, what a beautiful day. Everything's going to be going my way. And he goes to Murphy and he gets himself a, buys a used truck and he goes and picks up his younger brother and everything just, <laughs> what happened? i tell you what happened. Life happened. Yeah, that's what happened. Yeah. Or, or you may, might say, oh, oh, Murphy's Law came knocking on the door again. You, you know Murphy's Law. You, you've heard it. You've lived into it. It goes like this. Anything that can go wrong. Yeah, wow. You must have learned that in confirmation or something. You, that's good. Backyard philosopher named Schwartz came up with his own version of Murphy's Law. He said Murphy was an optimist. <laughs> yeah. there, there are a number of axioms and corollaries that now have been attached to Murphy's Law. Um, some of them go like this. Um, everything will take longer than you expected it to. Or, left to themselves, things will always go from bad to worse. Or, if you work on something hard enough and long enough to improve it, it surely will break. Or if you think everything is all right, you've obviously missed something. And then this one, everything that hits the fan will not be distributed evenly. <laughs> okay, so it's, 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 it's hard to get 24 smooth hours in a row. You, you get up in the morning, you thought everything was going your way, and old Murphy knocks to the door. Murphy, that law, the, the story of these two brothers in the parking lot. Now, let, let me be honest. That's not about the deeper grief and sufferings of life. I mean, we're talking about the realm of low-level pain, the world of setback, frustration, disappointment. I mean, really. Do we need to focus an entire Sunday morning sermon around disappointment? Come on. Maybe five minutes, a whole sermon, really. I mean, if you told one of your friends, I think we're going to be talking about disappointment today at church, your friend might say, well, I think I'll just stay home and wash the car. You know. Well, we could say we've got a bird doing aerobatics, and that might get them there. Okay. Yeah, but... I mean, just say the word disappointment out loud. Disappointment. I mean, that doesn't have a lot of emotional pyrotechnics to it. But if I say a word like devastation or betrayal, now that's got some crackle to it. Someone comes up to you and says, well, things didn't go as I had planned. I, I'm pretty disappointed. And so, I mean... Who's going to really care that much about, who's going to pay attention to that? So you're disappointed. I mean, that sounds like a first world problem. That sounds like the kind of problem that belongs to somebody who has too much time on their hand. All they can do is just puzzle over the unfairness of life. However, there's another side to this. And this is what I've observed. I bet some of you have observed. That disappointment has the, the death of a thousand paper cuts kind of dimension to it. You know? It's not the one disappointment. It's the cumulative effect. And, and that's when people begin to find themselves becoming cynical, beaten down, flirting with despair. They add up and it does something to the human heart. And that's why the Bible talks about these things. 
I mean, you know, don't you? There are six, all these 66 books in the Bible, these different authors. And don't, don't think that these were people who were all lathered up in sunscreen, sitting under an umbrella, uh, just sipping lemonade all day. No, these were people that knew the ups and downs of life. Okay? They know that sometimes you and I as human beings, we have to put life together with short pieces of string. Paul knew about that. He's, he's our writer this morning. I mean, he was acquainted with deferred hopes and interrupted plans. Uh, he had spent a lot of time building a resume of disappointment. And listen to him. He's talking about the world you and I live in. He says, we live in a world where you can almost feel it. Um, the universe groaning and straining against the skin of new creation. You hear that word, groaning, straining, not yet complete. Oh, he says, oh, yeah, you, you may experience the, the, the birth pangs of new creation. You may begin to taste the first fruits, but things are not fixed, settled, concluded. What does that mean? Well, as people of faith, we're willing to thank God for all of it, to bring all of it to the altar, and, and, and thank God for even the parts we don't welcome. We say it's all part of this thing called life, but at times from our perspective, it may be blessing, but it looks like a blessed mess. From our perspective, there are these moments we call setbacks, disappointments. Do you, do you ever feel sometimes like there's this um, kind of, cosmic untidiness, this um, unexplainable hiccup that's in the middle of things. It's like oatmeal. No, really, it is. You know oatmeal. Have you, I've had this experience. I don't really like oatmeal. And I think this is one reason why, because I found that no matter how long you cook it, how much you stir it, there's always going to be that one little dried lump down in the middle of your oatmeal, right? I mean, it's, there it is. That, in life, it's there. That's cosmic untidiness. Scott Peck made a lot of money off three words. Life is difficult. First three words of the book, the thesis statement of his bestseller, The Road Less Traveled. Life is difficult. He said, that's a really short truth. But he said, it's a really large truth. Because until you master that, it'll be hard to be fully human. I would contend it's hard for us to master that. I, I, I think um, that we're somewhat, you know, drawn to and uh, expect a world of efficiency, of order, predictability. You know, I was told that um, the zenith of efficiency was, came when McDonald's developed their version of the hamburger, really. Now, they hired these experts, some of the greatest experts in the world, to study every hand movement that was involved in the cooking and the assembly of a hamburger and all the steps and all the hand motions that would take it from the food table to the counter. And they came up with a quick, efficient, affordable meal. That's McDonald's. Do we think, though, sometimes as humans, we're like efficiency experts? Um, you know, if we could just master the techniques, then we could impose an arbitrary sense of order um, on our world. No, no, here's the truth. Beneath all my planning and organizing and dreaming and scheming and calendarizing and implementing, there is this unsettledness to life, this messiness of life. 
It's there. It's part of it. It's going to be disappointment at times. I used to love the wit and wisdom and reading of, I still do, of Will Rogers. And back before he died, Life Magazine did a full feature article on him. And so, you know, he lived in Oklahoma. So they, from New York, they sent a photographer to get his portrait that's going to be in the cover of Life Magazine. Comes, takes a picture of Will Rogers, goes back. A couple weeks later, sends the proof to Will Rogers. Well, the photographer had done a little, little brush up on some of Rogers' scars and some of his wrinkles. And Rogers looks at the proof and he sends back this message. He said, sir, seeing that I have survived 50 years on this planet, I would not want my portrait to suggest that I have come through it all completely unscathed. Yeah, that's Paul. Look, the creation is groaning and straining. We're not living in a world in which everything is going to be fixed and settled and complete. You will not be unscathed from the difficulties, the disappointments. But they mount up, don't they? Yeah, they, they mount up. And that's where the problem comes in. Um, this is what we expect, and that's, that's where we get into trouble. Um, you know, what, what, what we expect out of life, that a lot of spiritual writers from all the different religions, um, they're, they're going to mention that. And they're going to say that we get ourselves in trouble, not just that we have disappointments, but that we expect something else. You know, we're attached to something, like an outcome that we think should always happen. Or this is what we do. We attach ourselves to the notion, these things should not be happening. They should not be part of my scenery, of the scenery of my life. And that's where disappointment goes, wham. See, now it's no longer what the world has done to me. No, it's what I've done to myself. You know, Now I've chosen a way of seeing things that makes me cynical or makes me curl up in um, a chronic kind of resentment. I was thinking this week, I mean, what, what am I going to say to a group of people about disappointment? What Paul, what's the New Testament saying? Here's a core word of wisdom. Make room for it in your life. Yeah. Make, make, make a room in the house of your life for those moments. I think it was Dale Carnegie that said back when the uh, first automobile makers and they were starting to mass make, they, they were working so hard to come up with the right fabrics of a tire. Do you know what the first automobile tires were like? They were made of the hardest of rubber. The idea was we're going to harden this rubber and it's going to be able to resist the shock of the roads. You know what happened to those tires in about 50 miles? They just blew to pieces. So here's what the automobile tire makers began to realize, and this is what they began to make. It was not a tire that resisted. It was a tire that absorbed the shocks of the road. You see. Um, they were resilient. That's what Paul's talking about. It's kind of like grow up. Old Murphy's gonna knock at the door. We, we live in a creation that's still straining, groaning. Make room for it. Make room for it. But he doesn't stop there. Oh, he has a larger, he has even a stronger word for us. 
If, if you read through the scripture this morning, you get those last two verses, and he uses one word, a little word. He uses it three times. And to Paul, this has some muscle to it. It's the word hope. Okay. I mean, how, how are you going to navigate life in a world in which the disappointments pile up? And sometimes in a world in which old Murphy knocks at the door, and, and sometimes when Murphy knocks, it's something larger than the commode is backing up or the children are sick. Um, sometimes it comes with um, a real jar, a real jolt, and all your boxes are blown apart and all your insulators are removed. What then? It's called hope. Where there is hope, there's life. Where there's life, real life, there's hope. Now look, when Paul's talking about hope, please don't confuse this with a little Pollyannish wishful thinking. Oh, I think if I can get up and have the right attitude, everything will go my way. That's, that's not Christian hope. Christian hope is the radical trust that beneath these surface agitations we've been talking about here today, there's something deeper than that. And it's the cords of energy and love that can never be severed, no matter how convoluted the path may be. We're talking about faith-filled intuition that sees that there is something large in the universe that points to someone who is incredibly ingenious and creative and never gets tired of giving life, okay? Yeah, the creation is groaning and straining, and there'll be days of setbacks and disappointment, but also moments of beauty, mystery, and grace. Look at us here today. I mean, <laughs> we're here because God was able to create us out of nothing. If that creative energy is still at loose in this world, who, who here would say what that potency could yet do, right? Do we want to limit that? But see, hope isn't just seeing that. It's not just having those thoughts. Christians, it's a hopeful way of living. We don't just sit around passively waiting for the next good thing to come from God. No, we... We join in the hopeful parade. You know. If God is forever creative and generous, then we, we choose to do the same, no matter what the circumstances. But what I love about Paul here, Paul is not some pie-in-the-sky philosopher. He's just throwing his pearls of wisdom kind of removed from the... Turn, this is the 8th chapter of Romans. Turn over to the 15th chapter and you hear Paul talking about one of his hopes. He had this plan, like we have plans. We get up in the morning, we have hopes for a day. Well, he had hopes for the last part of his ministry. This was his plan. He said, I always wanted to go to Spain. And that wasn't for him just going to be, a, you know, a vacation trip. Here was the idea that he had. See, for his thinking, his world, Spain represented the outer rim of his known world and he thought what a place what a moment if I could go and share this good news I've been a part of with people that never heard it he said I wanted to go to Spain he started over here in Philippi and here's Spain he gets to Rome uh-oh his hopes have been deferred he's now under house arrest okay he's under house arrest I said what was Paul going to do I, I guess he could curl up bitter, 
resentful. Oh, this shouldn't be happening. This should not be part of my script. No, this is what he does. He says, oh, I got these pieces of parchment. I got this quill pen. I've got some time on my hands. Why don't I write some letters? The letter we're hearing from today, he's in prison. Don't you see what he's doing? He's turning the prisoner's dock into the author's workbench. That's not just a hopeful heart. That's a hopeful way of life. You, you keep creating. You keep living boldly, generously, just as God does. I remember Paul. I, I remember old Abraham and Sarah. I try to remember some moments from my life. And I take these little strands and I, I weave them together in a rope called hope. Man, Hope has muscle to it. It's a tenacious thing. It can hang from the altar by its fingernails. It can live on a calorie a day. It creates in something in us called perspicacity. Isn't that a big... How you like that? That's the vocabulary word of the day. When you go to lunch and you're around some Baptists and Episcopalians, you throw that word out there and say, we use big words in the Methodist church. Perspicacity. It sounds big, it sounds highfalutin, but it's a, it's a usable word, it's a lively word. It just means keenness of vision. It, it's a way of saying, seeing things that's deeper than, beyond than appearances, what's happening at the moment. And we call that, not just perspicacity, we call that hope. I have a, a good friend, a Methodist minister named Wes Sharp. He's a pastor now at the Skyland United Methodist Church. And he likes to talk about the times he would go see his grandmother in Alexander County. She lived on a farm. Well, she was getting older and the farm was getting smaller. It's down to a couple dozen acres at this point. But she still had some chickens and she had a milk cow. And there was a pretty steep walk from the house up to the barn. So Wes Sharp said, I knew when I would go there, it would be my time and my task to help milk that cow. And he said, there was some ritual to that. You, you always had to use the same stainless steel bucket and you had to make sure it was properly clean so it would be bacteria free. And then the next step, which was very important to my grandmother, you would take this round granite stone and you'd put it down there in the bottom of that bucket. Now, what do you think that's about? Oh, I can see some of you think that's just one of those old mountain wives' tales, you know. Put a stone in the bottom of the bucket and, oh, you're going to have some real good luck in milking the cow today. No, no, no. No, this was grandmother's law of physics. Now listen to me. This is real. She had learned from all those trips up that steep, rocky path and back down. If you go up there and you fill that bucket up to the rim and you come down, what's going to happen to that mill? It's going to slosh out. Right. Here's what that granite stone is all about. If you put it down in the bottom of the bucket and you get moving with that bucket, what that stone will do is it will slow, it will deter the waves that of motion that are starting in the bottom that will eventually increase and undulate and go over the rim. Now, if you think I'm making this up, you go home, experiment with this afternoon, call me, we'll talk about it. Okay? <laughs> 
West Sharp learned in Alexander County, if you're going to carry milk from the barn to the house, you better have the right kind of stone in the bottom of your bucket. Okay? If you and I are going to navigate life, a life of setback, disappointments that pile up, we better have a stone the right kind, way down in the recesses and soul of our being. It's called the stone of hope. Look, I, I don't know what's going to happen today. I mean, you may have one of these days. I hope you do. It's Mother's Day. Mothers particularly, I hope you'll have a day in which everything goes your way. It should. But some of you may have a day you're going to get outside and you're getting to the parking lot and uh-oh, flat tire. I hope that doesn't happen. Call us, we'll help. <laughs> I don't know, maybe the, um, the lunch won't go right, and maybe the wait staff at the restaurant will be poor. I don't know how the rest of your day is going to go. But I know this. I know that the potency of the creative energies of God will be loose, be around you and with you, and you can collaborate with that. That's called the stone of hope. And guess what? Old Murphy, not even old Murphy could take that away. <laughs>